just dawned on me too three italians were three italian guys you know like they had the italian tenors um you know <laughs> or like whatever you know we're three italian dudes i just wish that joe cardinal had a would revert back to his original italian name cardinale you'd be surprised how many people just instinctively call me that i don't know it, to me it's not a real obvious italian name cardinal oh. Some people think it's Hispanic. Um, not that I look at, but um, yeah, but a lot of people will just say, hey, Giuseppe, Giuseppe Cardinelli, not just you, which is kind of interesting. And I've actually told people, you know, that's actually my real family name, you know, with the E. And uh, they actually sometimes they're surprised to hear that. But uh, yeah, just it's funny. But yeah, I think originally, weren't we going to call this show Three Dagos? Well, we can. <laughs> I'm sure they call us a lot worse than that. So yeah, we could we could do that. Uh I, so there, like in my thing, my name, my last name was originally with an I. Now my dad said no, but I have a cousin who did all the research, uh, or not all. I mean, she did it as far as she could go, uh, and she said, "Yeah, it was with an I." Um, although there are Chicchinis with an E out there in Italy. Um, actually, there was a Villa Tuscan, uh, Villa Chicchini in Tuscany region. I saw this like, I don't know how long ago, 10 years ago, something, 12, maybe longer than that. It's gone now, I think. But because uh, we're not from that Tuscan region. But I, I take all of that uh, family tree stuff with a, like a huge grain of salt, you know, um, because it's hard to get records. It really is. And especially in Europe and back then. And especially if it was in a farming community, because I don't know if you guys know this, but here, even in America, many of the people who were down south, especially, and maybe even up north, uh, they didn't even have birth certificates. They would put in their family Bible the day that their children were born. And that for years was an official record. Okay. So imagine what it's like, you know, in parts of Europe. So tracing it would be, you know, it can be quite difficult. Uh it's like solving a mystery. Well, it is. It's solving a mystery. And then many times, you, you know, okay, like, so I had a friend of mine, Hank, who passed away, you know, several years ago. And he was actually born in Germany and came over during, uh, you know, I guess right during or World War II time, whatever. And um, blah, blah, blah. But it, when it came time for him to turn 65, he had to go track down his original, you know, certificates of birth or whatever it was. And the town that he was in, in Germany, had become Poland after the war. Okay. So he had a little problem with that. Um, 
you know, and then if, if you were, I don't know if he made phone calls or how he handled it. I don't remember now, but, you know, trying to call what you think used to be Germany. Now they're speaking Polish probably. So, you know, that, that can be a problem in, in parts of Europe, how things change, you know, regions and so on. And um, so, yeah, it's, I don't put a lot of, you know, I don't, I don't really care about all that stuff, you know, I'm, but it, it is, it is quite interesting that some people really get into that. And um, these DNA tests are not very accurate too, uh, because family members, you know, brothers are getting back different tests, test results. Okay. Uh, I don't think that should happen. So uh, <laughs> it's kind of weird, but anyway, how was your guys week? Everything good for you guys? Everything good. I got a question about your name. So what town do you think it's from? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> uh, Montegallo. Okay. So that's where my grandfather, the Cicchini, was from. Um, so that is, let me, let me, I'm, okay, northeast of Rome. Uh, so like, kind of like, it's still, it's on a, cusp of southern italy um it's like a little farm town farming areas apparently uh but yeah montegallo is where the cicchini my my grandfather was from um and then my grandmother hit the woman he married uh she passed away before i was born so i knew a different i had a different you know different grandmother she was from uh Racarosa, which again is west or east of Rome, but a little more south. So kind of like um, it's almost like equidistance between Rome and Naples. Okay. Okay. So Nabladan and but see, my whole life I was raised thinking I was Calabrese, and then the rumor was that my grandmother was from Sicily because her name apparently was her maiden name was apparently like a a Sicilian name. So there you go. Maybe her parents, so what would be my great-grandparents, maybe they emigrated to Italy from Sicily. I mean, who knows? You know, I didn't, I'm not going to go digging. I don't know. It don't matter to me. You know, uh, I just want the Cleveland Browns to win today. You know, that's all I care about is the, the legacy of the Browns. Um, what about you, Nico? Where's, where is your family from? Well, you know, the name Indovina, is a Sicilian last name. And apparently it means it can have several meanings. It can mean fortune teller. Uh, it can mean to intuit. Also in Sicily, it could mean praying mantis. So I don't really know, you know, what the true meaning of the name was intended. Um, but I've heard that a lot of the people that came from Europe and when they arrived in New York on the boat, they just told the person what their name was and the person would just basically sound it out and spell it. So a lot of the spellings are completely off from the original spelling. So, you know, I don't think we'll ever really find out if that's originally how you spell it. Well, my name, it means, believe it or not, sniper, you know, like the, a sniper apparently, but wow. like, again, yeah. Right. But it could be a regional thing, too. Like you just said, you could have various meanings. Um, you know, uh, what about you now, Jody? Where, where's your family from? 
in Italy? You're you're not fully Italian, so where where where's your Italy family from? So it's on my father's side, and that's supposedly Sicilian. So um, I'm trying to think if my grandfather immigrated over. So you know, from his side of the family, but we really, and you know, kind of goes back to that discussion about you know what's the interest in doing this genealogy work and you know this research, but. So much of my father, so my father passed away when I was pretty young and he had already kind of, kind of in an Italian way, kind of had cut off a lot of his family members. He just, they're just like kind of grudges and vendettas where he just didn't want to talk to, like he cut off his, um, he only had a half brother um, and there was just some falling out in the family. So um, because he was not in touch with them when, when he passed away, you know, there was already a huge amount of distance. So I, you know, maybe once met my grandmother on, on my father's side and she had already moved to um, Arizona, I think at that point. So we just done, I just remember some family road trip seeing her, um, but that was it. And it was kind of like lost. My uh, brother-in-law actually found out that um, uh, my father's half brother, he was the drummer in the family. He's the one supposedly who, um, you know, again, a lot of these stories, there's a lot of hearsay because, um, you know, I'm getting it, a lot of stories, like the closest I get is secondhand stuff from my mom. So, you know, she supposedly said that, you know, when Gene Krupa was in the city that he had come over to the house, you know, uh, my father's house when my father was young, because, you know, I guess, um, you know, my father's brother was in the jazz scene at that time. Um, that's the only thing, the only impression I have of him is that she said that he was always, you know, he like if he had pencils or forks or whatever in his hand, he was always drumming on something. He was always just tapping away, which she said would drive her nuts. But he just said he was compulsively, you know, like kind of drumming away and tapping on things, just kind of is always in his head. But apparently he died young too. Um, my father tried to get a hold of him. So my father had a, a congenital condition. Um, and all, and all of a sudden he realized, gosh, I better get a hold of my brother to to make sure warn him that he may have this condition too. And, um, uh, he could never get a hold of him. They had been so cut off that he never was able to track him down. Well, it turns out he was already dead from something else. Um, so that's how, like, like I said, that whole side of my family is like a mystery to me. Um, through Facebook though, it's kind of interesting. Someone did reach out to me, someone with the last name Cardinal, and they had messaged me and I had missed it. So it was kind of, um, you know, I was kind of several months late responding, but they're like, Hey, I think we have a relationship here, whatever. And they had, they had done some genealogy. Um, but yeah, so I've got like on my, my mother's side, it's, uh, German and Irish. So, um, but again, that's all. So my, um, grandfather's name on her side was Kane, uh, from Ireland. Um, and I, I don't know what he was, and the German side was burked. So like, I'm a mix of all your kind of, you know, rough and tumble uh, off white people from Europe, I think. Basically. So do, do you know what the name Cardinal means? Is it named after the bird or does it have a different meaning in Italian? I, I don't know specifically, but it could be the religious. So someone might've had a role in the church. So it's actually kind of like a job title kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. A lot, I think a lot of people, their last names had a job title of what it was. Yeah, well, that's what they, yeah, right, that's what they say, you know, uh, and there's nothing wrong with people who, you know, there's there's people who make, you know, this is like a giant hobby for them, or even some, you know, it's a career, obviously, you know, um, I just never had the, you know, 
I just never had the desire. I've been an, I'm an only child, but you know, I don't, you know, what it is, it is, you know, uh, for me, but, uh, yeah, it's cool that everybody seems to know it just, but you're right about one thing, Joe, with the hearsay, you know, in stories, and you know, it happens all the time. Things get exaggerated either intentionally or, you know, unintentionally. Um, and you know, you don't know, you know, you know, you, what, what, what's really the truth or then it's like opinions, you know, like, Oh my, you're great. Grant, like this one guy in the neighborhood here, he keeps telling me about his great grandma, his great grandmother. And he wants to show me a picture because there's a picture of her with an accordion. Okay. And I guess he says he plays the guitar and he wants to hook up one day, maybe next year, you know, in the spring and get him on a guitar, me any accordion. I'm like, well, I don't really play anymore, but, but you know, then he, he talks about his great grandmother and his grandmother and what she could play on the piano and how, um, her piano teacher, his grandmother's piano teacher, studied with Scott Joplin, you know, which is a ragtime guy, um, apparently. You know, this is how these stories get handed down, you know. Um, so, so who knows, you know. Uh, it, but it's, yeah, there's every, I'm sure every family has those stories. Or and every larger family probably has the, the one or two relatives that you don't want to talk about for whatever reason you know, I think we all have that. I've heard plenty of stories from my friends about family members, the aunts or uncles, or especially uncles that are like goofy or whatever. <laughs> but um, yeah, outside of that, man, today's the first day of November. Um, I'm actually anxious to get 2020 over with, although, you know, that's just more of a numerical thing. I don't know, because things are going to just keep on rolling along. Um yeah, and it's been gloomy the last – yeah, it's going to be – although we're supposed to have some good weather this week, middle of the week. I've got to do some things outside here, so hopefully I can get them done. Um, and my door handle, my exterior door handle just snapped on my car, so I can't open my car door from the outside. i got to go in through the passenger side and open it from the inside, which is weird. And because it's an older car and it's in mint condition, I, I'm gonna, it's going to be a while before I can find a handle, and if I do – I'm going to have to get it painted. That's going to cost. And then I, I'm going to have to have it installed because I, I can't do it outside and it'll be winter. Um, so that kind of sucks. But I'm not going to really worry about it because I can still get into my car. It's just a little inconvenient. Uh, so, so, Joe, are you still working from home or are you back out in, in, you know, in the city? So I've been in the city like three days out of the week. I'm really so only officially have to be there one Um but I just find it kind of better for me to get a change of scenery and get in there and focus on my work. So I've been commuting downtown. Um, so uh, I know it's taken a little bit of a risk, but you know, everybody on the, so I take the Metro in, everybody's wearing masks and they're, they're, you know, they're real strict on it. Um, so yeah, three days out of the week I've been, I've been heading there. I mean, the warm, the weather, was warmer. So I'd actually walk from the train station uh, to my work, which was, you know, it was a little bit of a hike, but it was a way of getting some exercise in and stuff too. But now that the weather's going, I'll probably have to take a bus from the train station. Uh, But yeah, so, you know, and we'll see next week. It's, there's a lot of debate at work as to how many days or what days people should be coming down. Cause uh, with the election pending, they're not quite sure if there's going to be any, you know, 
you know, negative riots or anything like that, or any activity that we're going to have to be concerned about. Um, it's going to be an interesting week. That's for sure. Well, speaking of the masks and this kind of ties into what Nico said last week, you know, how are the infection rates going up when everybody's wearing a mask? Well, I, I, you normally wear those blue uh, medical masks. Well, I went and got my haircut on Monday and I, I took a brand new mask, brand new. And I was telling the, the barber, I said, yeah, you know, these work, but man, they, they snap. They, the, 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 you know, the thing that goes around your ear, the string, they always break. Sure as shit. Um, she needed me to pull it down so she could trim around my ears and it broke. I'm like, I can't believe this. So I went to the store after, right after that. And I, I walked in and I saw a kiosk. I had to get other stuff, but I saw a kiosk of these masks, you know, not the one that I was wearing, but like nicer looking ones, fancy ones. Well, I didn't have my glasses, so I bought two of them because they just looked like, okay, these aren't going to be snapping. So they're called fashion masks, I guess. So when I got home, I put my glasses on. I'm looking at it, and this may answer Nico's question of how the, how the infection rates are going up. It specifically said in a very tiny, small print, these are not medical masks. These masks will not stop anything, okay, in essence. Yeah. I wish I had it here. I could have read it to you. When I read that, I'm like, holy cow, because most people are wearing these types, maybe not the exact brand that I picked up off the kiosk, but um, that could explain it. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, so this is just, you know, lip service. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I'm kind of upset because those the medical masks like that I was wearing just you – know, I mean, two in two days just snapped, you know, the elastic. I couldn't think of the name of it, the elastic string, you know, and that, you know, man, come on. It's kind of ridiculous, you know, but um, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of always, you know, talking about it. Now that they rolled us back over here for those people that don't, that aren't watching this from Chicagoland, I think we have our governor put a, we're, we're broken down into like 11 regions, and my region's a hot spot. Well, my actual county is a hot spot, but my region is kind of lower because of the fact that we're lumped in with Lake County and their positivity rates were kind of low. But anyhow, you know, I think nine or 10 regions out of the state of Illinois are, are back to some modified um, lockdown kind of right now it's, it's affecting bars and restaurants uh, pretty much only. But um, so everybody around here is either not obeying it they're they're defying it and staying open or you know people are just complaining like um you know why why are why is all that you know those those bars and restaurants why is that getting singled out when i can go to such and such a store i can go to a a coles or a walmart or wherever and i don't i i'm just you know burned out with it i'm just tired of it you know um whatever has to get done is you know it's going to get done and you know We'll see what happens, man. I don't, but I, I can tell, I try to tell these people one thing. It, it isn't like, it's not an American epidemic. It is a pandemic. It's happening in Europe. It's happening in other places. So this is not a plot to get the president or get the governors or whatever. It, it's more than just America. So um, I've heard that Europe is locking down pretty hard right now. I guess England is, you know, Boris Johnson is shutting, you know, really rolling back like all non-essential businesses, um, at least through December. Uh, and 
again, I mean, what's the point in talking about it? Because people are either not going to believe anything anybody says or they will. And so we're just nobody's on the same page. But apparently what I read is that this go around now, this virus situation or mutation is, is worse than it was or is going to be worse than it was, you know, in the beginning. Um, I don't know. It's who knows. Uh, but anyhow, um, it, it is it is what it is. Uh, uh, so I'm going to probably roll out uh, mass text mail next week, you know, just telling people everywhere, hey, you know, you're going to be back in a lockdown. Let's if you want to do the distance learning with me, let's do it. I've never you know, really sent out an email about it. I just talked about it once or twice on Facebook and then on here. But, um, uh, you know, we'll just do what we're, you know, just, we'll just see. Uh, apparently now we're on tune in as well for the podcasts. Uh, I did not, I did not hear back from iHeartRadio or, uh, what was the other one? Pandora. So I don't, I don't know what the procedure is. Um, so, but apparently we're on tune in as well. I don't check these things. I don't know how to do these things. So that's Joe's department, man. Joe's the IT guy. He's the, He's the guru of podcasts. He is the living, walking advertisement for hair care. You should get some sort of endorsement deal um, with some shampoo conditioner company, man, or even maybe, you know, sport clips or great clips or something like that. They should reach out and contact you to maybe do some modeling, uh, Joe, because it's astounding what we're seeing here, this development of you, this, this metamorphosis. Really, it is. Yeah, I am very much like a, you know, uh, a butterfly coming out of the cocoon on this one. And, um, you know, it's, it's a shame for all the people who are just listening in on these various service, you know, if they're not watching, they really don't get the full effect. Uh, so that's one of the, you know, definitely find it on YouTube if you're, you're looking for some excitement. You definitely need to make a plug for that. And I think you're in the unique situation where you can inspire certain people and also demoralize other people because... You know, certain like guys can look at you and say, man, I'll, I can never look as good as Joe, uh, you know, and then they just get the defeatist attitude. And there's others that are like, you know, wow, if, if a guy that looks like Joe can, you know, improve his looks so much like he's doing now, um, there's hope for me. Uh, and I think that's, that's to me, that's, that's, I'm going to take the inspirational route, you know, um, and I'm going to look at it like you could potentially be inspiring a whole new generation of people. That's all I want to do, really. And I was going to say, uh, you know, I'm glad to see you're in the holiday spirit, too. I know it's November 1st, but clearly you've still got some of your Halloween makeup on, um, embracing the season. So that's great. Yeah, I'm a champion winner in, in the Halloween contests. Yes, I feel... I feel in the holiday, in the Halloween, I should say, in the Halloween spirit very, very much, you know, um, and yeah, now that Thanksgiving is coming upon us, you know, I hark back to your family when they immigrated over here. And I just, you know, wonder, if, you know, too bad submarines weren't invented back then. It could have prevented a lot of, a lot of your family spreading their roots here in America. But what are you going to do? You're going to live with it. You're here. Okay. So we got to deal with it. But it's true. They didn't, they didn't have a wall they could build back then to keep me out. So me and my, my family. So we were able to uh, get in under the wire, I guess. But, uh, did you have trick-or-treaters come by your place, man, at all? Or is it shut down? Where... I wasn't. I take, I took my mom out yesterday. So we were not. 
from what everybody, from what everybody, I don't know about this community, but everyone else, their community, allegedly trick or treating was, if they had it, was between three, the hours of three and six p.m. So my my mom and I did not get home until after that. So I don't know if if we did or didn't. Mm. But mm-hmm. I did her trick or treating at the adult daycare on Friday because I had to pick her up. Normally they'd bring her home, but I had to pick her up. She had a doctor's appointment. So they went through the different offices there. You know, each office, it's a building, you know, it has like a little uh, auditorium or like a cafeteria, like you would in a school. And then, you know, every room has its little office. So they did like a little parade and they all went and they got their little trick or treat. So my my mom had a bag of candy that she brought home, um, which she's guarding like it's Fort Knox. So it's in her room and she's probably, it's probably the bag is probably empty now. But um, what about you, Nico? Was there trick-or-treaters out by you? Um, I don't think there was, but I wasn't home all day. So yeah. I wouldn't know if there was, but I doubt it. Yeah. I'm way, I'm way out in the country. There's really no kids out here. Well, even when I lived in the city before I moved out here, I, in the ten, nearly 10 years, there was, I never got a trick-or-treater. And that was the city. Uh, that was shocking. Um, but yeah, I never did. Um, and I think I told you guys this, I remember I was either in the seventh or eighth grade and we had a, we had to do a debate and I got chosen for one side. The debate was, should we keep or, or get rid of Halloween? And I was on the, I was picked to be on the side of debating to keep Halloween. Um, and like I said, that was in the seventh or eighth grade. So that was in the late seventies. So the debate about banning or, you know, whatever you, whatever words you want to use Halloween, it's not a new concept. It's, you know, that was probably what 40 over 40 years ago when I was in grade school. So um, yeah, it's a thought that's been around for a while. Isn't it something like all Hallows Eve? Isn't it like the history of Halloween? I mean, does anybody know? Cause I don't remember. I'm sure I did. I, yeah, I don't know the origin. Do you know it, Joe? No, I, I used to know it. I mean, I think it had some kind of church church tie-in, and it definitely had some kind of like, you know, ritual with the jack-o'-lanterns where they tried to scare away spirits and things. It was a lot of really great old-time spooky crap that they would do back related either to the church or, you know, whatever the uh, pagan religion of choice was at the time. But I can't remember all the details of it. I mean, some of that's lost now. We actually had a really good turnout. We have a ton of kids in this neighborhood. And uh, I mean, like I wore a mask at the door, you know, just a face mask, not like a Halloween mask, gave out candy and stuff. But it was it was only, you know, and the weather was beautiful. So it seemed kind of normal. I mean, our neighbor actually had like a they used a looked like a PVC pipe and they'd actually from their porch would like slide the candy down to the kids so the kids wouldn't get close, you know, and the kids all thought it was cool and fun. So it, it kind of seemed mostly normal for us. Um, and even like so I grew up in the city. Uh, and we were pretty regular. It was very a more residential neighborhood in the city on the north side, but Halloween was always kind of a big thing, you know, growing up. I think some of the religious people talked about banning it, and there was always kind of like those rumors of like, oh, they're putting razor blades in the candy or, or stuff like that. Or um, So there's always kind of some scare tactics or whatever, and maybe some of those stories are true, but um, whatever backlash against it, it's kind of hard to go against the they're swimming against the current, I think, as far as I think people love dressing up and getting candy and stuff. It's it's a great time. So in Cleveland, Tony, when you were growing up, 
I know you're in a rough neighborhood, but were they still doing like normal? Was it safe enough that kids were still doing Halloween and that kind of stuff? They did. I mean, they did do Halloween, but I remember like the hospitals, there was like a um, Mount Sinai was probably the closest hospital and they would offer to x-ray the the candy, you know, to make sure there wasn't anything in it, but they did do stuff. I mean, they, you know, they did put junk sometimes in the, in the, you know, um, uh, yeah, but yeah, they did it, but there wasn't that many kids. I mean, you know, um, but yeah, we did it. I did it like maybe four years only. And then it was to the point where, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to do this. You know, um, this, it was, it was to the point where people running around, you know, with masks or costumes and, you know, they could be 19, 20, 21 years old, you know, and they're, they're there's damage going to happen. And it, and it did. So pretty much it stopped. But um, I've never, you know, I asked everybody that I saw this week, just, you know, just to change the subject off, off all the, all the other talk. And I asked everybody, have, have they ever been to a Halloween content, a Halloween party as an adult where you dress up? Because I never have. Um, I'm not into that. Right. Uh, and only one person told me that they did. And, that, and she said it was years ago, like 30 or 40 years ago when she was an adult that she did it. She went to some bar or whatever and did a Halloween contest or not, not contest, Halloween costume, you know? Um, yeah, I've never done that. You know, did you guys ever hear of that? Cause they, they used to have these things called come as you are parties. Did you ever hear that? No. Well, what is what is it? An adult Halloween party? Well, it's not necessarily a Halloween party. It could be any time of the year, but it's you know it's a come as you are party. Meaning you know, let's say you hold the party at ten o'clock at night, right? It, well, how how are you dressed at ten o'clock at night? Are you in your pajamas? Because that's how you're supposed to come. How would you normally dress at this hour, right? Uh, so you come at that hour how you normally would dress. Come as you are. I've never done one of those, but I've actually seen those on like episodes of old television shows. I think that was like a big thing in the seventies because uh, also in the seventies or right around there, the eighties, they, they used to have these fondue parties because that was taken off and people would buy the fondue dishes or not dishes, but you know, the, the walk or whatever it is. And people would have these fondue parties. Um, and also if you watch the old TV shows, they would have bridge parties, you know, the card the card game bridge. And uh, Pinochle and all that. I, I used to play a lot of Pinochle. But times change, man. You know, that stuff, I don't think people do much of that anymore. You know, um, these little social get-togethers. Um, I can tell you living out here, you know, in the sticks now, there's not a lot of that. The, the, the big thing they do is maybe in the summer, spring and summer or whatever, people will have converted garages where they, you know, they got a beer cooler or refrigerator or whatever. And, People will hang out listening to music and they'll, they'll do stuff like that. But um, as far as like getting together on a regular basis, I, I, I don't see that at all. Hardly at all ever. I haven't seen it out here. So I guess as a society, we're kind of probably changing at least what I'm seeing. Yeah. I've never been into Halloween or dressing up even since a kid. I didn't never liked candy. Uh, nothing ever appealed to me about it and still to this day i mean i don't i could i would never dress up and go to a party i think it's ridiculous well i like the candy <laughs> but i don't yeah i i just never got really into it i mean i did it as a kid and i I'm, 
but a few times got dressed up. But yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm like you. I mean, I don't have anything against it. I just, you know, it's just not. It's not me. Just like baseball caps. You know, I don't wear one. Okay, I mean, I I have a collection of them, but I don't normally wear them. And it's rare that I wear a, an Italian hat or something like that. It's very rare. Like maybe once or twice a year. You know, but you look around. Many, many, many men and women wear hats or caps. You know, um, I look too. You know, when you look at old, speaking of women in the hats or whatever, when you look at some of the old photos, you know, like way back when, you know, uh, and these women would wear, would wear these big, beautiful hats, and they still—it's still kind of a tradition. They do that at the like Kentucky Derby and things. Um, it's kind of cool, man. It looks like really, really classy, but. Hats went out years ago. I mean, you know, those kind of hats. They're rare that you see a woman um, wearing that. But uh, guys, yeah, guys guys wear hats. But it is interesting that that changed culturally. I heard it was John Kennedy, actually, that kind of made it not fashionable. Because back, you know, if you look at when guys were in suits or going to business back in the 40s, 50s, whatever, they always had like a fashionable hat on, you know. You can almost date a picture by looking at like what kind of hats they were wearing. And then all of a sudden guys just stopped wearing them just routinely. I mean, now the only thing is, is like literally baseball caps are the only kind of acceptable or winter hats. But it used to be that like you usually had a dress up hat. Like my grandfather had a bunch of hats, you know, but now if you wear it, it just, it seems like you're, you know, like it's just kind of an affectation, something, you know, like you're wearing it almost as part of a costume. Now you don't see men, like, you know, during the winter, even when you'd think with the rain or, you know, snow and stuff that you'd want to have like a, a dress hat that just it's just gone. You know, it is kind of weird how that just happened. And that seems like a functional thing to kind of have. Um, but, yeah, it's weird that like over time, just kind of going to your, your discussion about like how things just kind of culturally shift. I mean, playing cards, like you said, people used to get together and play cards pretty regularly, not just poker nights, but like all different kinds of games. And maybe maybe because home entertainment's gotten so, you know, um, you know, like now you have cable on 24 by seven, you almost don't need other people around. And they talk about like isolation, but I do think it's, it's just one of the many things you see shifting, whether it's fashion or uh, uh, routines in people's lives, you know, not always, they're not always for the best. You know, I think a lot of people get isolated. Yeah. Well, you can look back at like ball games, baseball games or something. And, you know, in the twenties or thirties and you'd see a lot of men, with coats, you know, suit coats and ties and just, you know, going to a baseball game uh, and things like that, boxing matches and stuff. And I guess jeans weren't really um, a big thing until probably, or starting to become a thing until maybe the 50s. It was considered work clothing. Um, And again, I mean, I'm sure there were exceptions to it, but I've never, ever, my grandparents that raised me never had jeans, never. They didn't own jeans, period. Okay, they, I mean, they, I'm not saying my grandfather dressed in a suit, but think of Archie Bunker, the way he dressed, you know, like dress pants or whatever you want to call it. Um, and yeah, I know several guys now, even they're, they're you know, late, set, mid to late 70s, they, they don't wear jeans. They don't own jeans. Um, yeah, so a lot of, that, yeah, it's a culture. It's a shift uh, for sure. Um, and you were you mentioned something else just now that I and I can't remember now that I was going to touch on that you said, but uh, yeah, it, change sometimes is good, you know. Not not always. I mean, you know, 
I, I think progress is, is a better way word to, or better thing to look for. Let's progress from here. But um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's just a whole different, it's just a whole different thing. I, I think a lot of you, like you, oh yeah, I know what it was. You were talking about cable and everything else. Yeah. I think that has a lot to do with it, you know, um, and internet and, you know, just t- cell phones, you know, I know people that, you know, drives me nuts to watch them. They're constantly on their cell phones to the point where it becomes an addiction. Okay. They're on it. They don't stop. I mean, it's like a chain smoker. Okay. Um, And, you know, they're either texting or they're playing a game, you know, whatever on their phone. And these are the types of people that, you know, they probably don't want to go to your house and uh, not even gamble, just play cards or play Monopoly or anything because, you know, their minds just aren't uh, geared there like that anymore. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, it, it is strange. I, I can remember, too, as a kid, there like baseball games, were not every game was on. You know, it, we didn't have, like, I could watch every Indians game, okay? It wasn't like that. Um, but you did have the, NF, uh, the uh, MLB Major League Baseball game of the week. Normally it was Joe Garagiola or maybe Vin Scully calling it or whomever. So once a week you could get a national baseball game on. Um, And football, if the game, the home game, wasn't sold out, you had a blackout. Now I think that's still pertinent. I think, well, except for this year, obviously, because of the COVID, but you get my point. But, yeah, with cable or with this or that, um, fire sticks and Roku, you can pretty much watch anything you want to watch. we had three channels, three, five, and eight. And then we had channel 25, which was our public broadcasting. And then we had channel 43, which was UHF. And then on and off, we had channel 61, okay, in Cleveland. That's when I was growing up. So you can forget about channel 25, WVIZ. That was public broadcasting. You Rarely you watch that. So we had channels three, five, and eight, CBS, NBC, ABC, whatever, you know, so um, – if nothing was on that you really liked or a certain night that was nothing to watch, yeah, you hey, it's a week, it's a Thursday night. There's nothing good on TV. We're going to have our card parties every Thursday night or bowling or whatever. Now, yeah, you mentioned it. Cable, it's – I think it's too much. I mean, there's just – it's just too much. Man, it's just over in, – information overload. It's like we lost touch with humanity. Everybody's so attached to the technology that we're losing touch with, you know, relationships. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with that. It's the in-person thing. You know, I'll I can share this story because these two people are you no know, are are passed away. So Kevin, uh, you know, everybody knows who he was and well, he had a brother, um, Jeff and I'm not going to get, get into the backstory, but for a while, Jeff was staying with his daughter down, I believe it was in Kentucky. What, it was some southern state. It's, that's irrelevant. But anyway, she had a party, and she was going to have like 10, 10 or 12 people over. So Jeff was going to stay upstairs in his room and only come down if he had to use the bathroom or maybe you know hit, hit the, uh, um, the kitchen. So he said he was upstairs in about an 45 minutes or an hour, and it was dead quiet, totally, totally no sound. So it's like, oh, I'm going to go downstairs. They must have left. Party's over. He said he walked downstairs, and everyone was in the one room, and they were all on their cell phones. Nobody was talking, not, nothing. There were, there were no interaction. 
Even though there was a group of them, they were all on their cell phones. That's why it was dead silent. Um, yeah, I, I just can't, you know, I mean, their cell phones are great. Don't get me wrong. They have their place. And in, in essence, now you, you, you're almost forced to have it because you no longer have pay phones anywhere. So if something happened, an accident happened, you know, you, you need your phone. But it's just like, it's just too much, man. You know, people just assume I can get a hold of you 24-7, no matter where you're at. You can't escape it. And I know from personal experience from, like, certain friends of mine who are going through relationship issues, you know, it's like she didn't text me today. Or I texted her, and I haven't heard from her in two hours. You know, and, and that just escalates. That just makes a problem, right? And I think all of us know with texting or emailing, how the written word can get, it, it can get misinterpreted. Okay. Uh, and, and that can cause some issues. So yeah, the interactions, the personal interactions just seem to be, uh, you know, lacking. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It, I've, I've read that the, um, the use of the technology triggers a reward center in your brain and dopamine production and actually can be more addictive than like hard drugs. I don't know how true it is, but it seems to be really true. If you look at people, I mean, they're just addicted to the, to the phone and uh, social media and tablets and seems to be very addictive. Yeah. I I'm, I'm attuned to that. I, I'm a, I, I tend to be observant by nature and I think one of the reasons I'm like observant and maybe overly observant is, you know, when I do go out, uh, I'm normally by myself. I go out alone. Okay. So it's not like I'm out with, let's say one of you guys or both of you guys. So I'm immersed in our little conversation, I'm normally out by myself. So I'm sitting there, you know, alone, nobody to talk to, you know, so I'm watching, I'm looking around. Normally, whatever's on TV during the day when I can go out, I, I'm not interested in it, okay? So I'm not watching it. Uh, yeah, and I just see person after person just on their cell phones constantly, man. Um, I even told one um, one lady, I'm like, she's, con- I mean, she wouldn't put the damn thing down. She even had like a little, um, uh, what do you call it, like a stand. So it was like, you know, like a mount, you know? And she's texting away. I don't know who to, none of my, probably your boyfriend, doesn't matter, or girlfriend, it doesn't matter. But she's on it. She just won't stop. I'm like, damn, girl, you know, read a book or something. If you, if you don't have anything to do at work, you know, read a book, <laughs> you know, or, or find something to do. But, it, it, you know, it's just, maybe I'm, you know, making a mountain out of a molehill, but, you know, it just, um, I don't know. I, I think when you work in the public sector, part of your job responsibility is to be an entertainer in a way. You know, you're a, if you're a waitress or a bartender, let's say, you know, you need to, uh, you know, the bar, I've told bar owners this, you know, the bartenders are the first line normally of, you know, when you walk in, you're, they're the first line of representation of your business. And, you know, if, if you're just sitting there by yourself and the bartender is too engrossed in anything outside of work, you know, like stocking or cleaning or something, which is understandable. And they're just letting you sit there. That's bullshit. You know, um, I've told, I've walked out of places or I've told bartenders, Hey, you need to 
you know, you need to talk to your customers. If your customers don't want to talk to you, you'll know, then you leave them alone. But well, many times people just want, you know, they're, they're going out for, you know, some sort of companionship. Okay. And now that bars and restaurants, you know, technically are indoor dining and indoor drinking are closed right now. And they were earlier this year. and They may be again, um, you know, it's really more important now than ever that when, when they are open again and people can go out, you want to be engaging with these people, you know, make them, you know, we're all, everyone is tense. This, this, that we really are. Everybody is tense and we need to find a way to blow things off. And Nico hit the nail on the head as far as I'm concerned with, it's a generational thing now. It's just like, you know, people are being, there's, there's an, people are being raised without that personal interaction. Um, When's the last time any of us, any one of us, have, have literally written a letter to someone, a friendly letter, not like a business letter, and mailed it? We don't. Probably don't do it because we can email or you can do the Facebook thing or you can text. You know, and, you know it's, we're, we're losing a lot of, I don't know, I think we're just losing a lot of uh, important things that we, we, we should probably focus on. That's my opinion. Yeah, there's something special about getting a handwritten letter as opposed to a text or an email. And, and I think the same way as far as reading a book, like you read a book on like a book online on your computer or on your phone. To me, it's much more engaging and much better reading an actual book with real pages. Well, my vision has gotten bad as it, you know, my hearing is gone. My vision isn't very good. And it's difficult for me because I have a lot of PDFs or books on the internet. I mean, um, on the uh, computer and everything. Or on, it's hard for me. And I'm, I'm with you, Nico. I like a book. I like to physically hold the book. I like to go here, here, whatever. To, and it's just the print, the feel of the pages, everything, you know? Um, yeah. I, I just, you know, and it's, I don't think it's because I'm an old man, you know, I just, yeah, I just, I'm looking at books. I'm looking beyond the, the camera here. I have a small little bookcase built into the wall here with some encyclopedias and just books, magazines, you know, and I miss that, you know, uh, that, that there's not a lot of stuff anymore, you know, coming out, um, you know, mag, certain newspapers are shut down. Magazines have gone out of business. Uh, I get it. Times change, but yeah, I like an old fashioned book. I, I read something about they did a, like a study on the retention of people reading from a screen as opposed to reading from actual paper and book. And it, it said that the people that read from an actual book had 30% higher retention of reading comprehension than the people that read from the screen. And that seems to be true with me. I, I feel like I absorb the information better just reading from an actual print printed book. I don't, I never did. I didn't hear that, but it, it makes sense. I mean, I, I could see it. I was always a voracious reader. I could read pretty quickly. Um, I mean, not a speed reader kind of thing, you know, but just, I could, um, and I remember I, I even would buy used, used books, right. Many times because you couldn't get the book new, let's maybe it's out of print. And I would go through the book and there'd be maybe pages, parts of the book underlined by the previous owner or, highlighted you know with the with those markers just little passages which is awesome you know and 
I'm, there's probably a way of doing that with your laptop or your phone. I don't know. I don't know how, but that was kind of cool. So you could go through, you know, important parts of the book and just skim through it and oh, yep, here's a, you know, here's a highlighted thing. And um, yeah, again, you know, see times, you know, times change, man. You know, we, time marches on, they say, but we're, we're at an era, you know, where, it's revolutionary. Okay. Who would ever thought that way they would, you know, get rid of books. Now I'm not saying they are yet, but you know, yeah, for some people, I know I've asked friends, you know, that it's been years since they read a book. That that's astonishing to me. That really is. What's weird to me is like, I think a lot of kids in school now don't have books. They'll give kids like an iPad with all the texts on it. Um, I don't know how teachers do it, you know, like, cause kids would be on their phones or they'd be on these iPads surfing, you know, like if I was in, if I was school age and I had access to the internet, you know, there's no way I'd be paying attention. You know, I, I'm assuming they have some filtering programs and they, they're probably refining it, but um yeah, I just I don't, I don't even know what it's like for school kids these days, man. Um, I mean, in some ways, you kind of have to lock kids down and get, force them to pay attention, you know, because n- normally if you have a distraction, like basically you have a television in your hand, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't. It's crazy to me that, you know, there's now kids don't have to have big backpacks full of books anymore. They're just distributing like iPads where they can get all their texts. I, I just that's got to be tough, man. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I would have to agree because even with me, if if I'm on the internet, my mind will wander or I'll, I'll uh, read something and there'll be a link, let's just say. I click the link, now that takes me to something. Now I'm reading that and then there's a link there. Now I'm I'm going there. Yeah, it it you have to be disciplined. I think I think in a way it takes a little bit more or a different style of discipline now. Um you know, before, if we had an assignment or just, just out of your own leisure, you had a book that you wanted to read, you know, you'll hunker down and get through that book, depending on your reading comprehension and you know, your abilities. You can get through that book in a couple of days or a day or three days or whatever. Uh, yeah, now we have distraction, distractions, distractions. And um, I don't, I don't know. I just don't know if that's, you know, I mean, there's pros and cons, you know, to it. I mean, yes, we have convenience, but I used to tell an people that now you got a lot of folks who are Google smart, right? They don't know the answer, but they'll Google it. And it gives them, it gives, it's a false sense of intellectual um, presence. Okay. Makes them perhaps smarter to appear smarter than what they, they really are. And a buddy of mine and I were talking about this just last week, you know, how it would be fun to rack your brain, you know, about a, a question, Really think hard about it. Think, think, think. And a lot of people don't do that. They'll, they'll give it a little bit of thought. Oh, I don't remember. Let me look it up. You know, they'll be on their phone. Let me look it up. And it, and it doesn't allow your brain to go back into its resources and think about, oh, yeah, I do know the answer. Let me, let me get to it. I got to give me a minute. I'll figure it out. Um, and then, too, you got to warn, you know, like Wikipedia. You can forget about Wikipedia. Anybody can go in there and edit it. Or, you know, a lot of it is bias. You don't know what's really true. Uh, and, and uh, you know, and I've read books too. Don't get me wrong. I've read books from the past that were full of shit. You know, they weren't real. There, there was phony, 
you know, there was errors in the book, okay? Um, and I don't mean grammatical errors even. I'm talking about factual errors. Um, so, yeah, you know, that's always been a part of it. But, you know, hopefully it was few and far between. Um, I was always the type of guy, while I did read some nonfiction, I normally read either technical stuff or, or I shouldn't, let me backtrack. I did read a lot of, most of my stuff was nonfiction. But I meant to say there were times that I would read fiction, okay? Like I mentioned a week ago or whenever, the three investigators, the Alfred Hitchcock series, and uh, just you know, books that were you know, fictional. But for the most part, I read nonfiction, but um, technical stuff, okay? Um, you know, maybe electronics or on you know, certain subject matters. Um, but I know a lot of people read a lot of fiction. Okay, which, you know, crime novels or this or that. So, you know, there's no accuracy there. There's no, you know, it's fiction. You know, like you can say anything you want to say. Um, but, yeah, I've, yeah, I've never been one of those guys that likes to read fiction too much. I'd say 20% of my previous reading history was, it was fiction-based. It's all of my stuff is more either technical-based or of a nonfiction um, thing. So for me, facts are very important. Because if I'm reading something that I know I'm supposed to be learning from, I want to make sure that what I'm learning is, you know, is really accurate. I was always a nonfiction reader as well. Still to this day. Yeah, there's some good stuff, you know, um, in fiction, don't get me wrong. You know, I mean, if I were to write a book, which I'm not, but if I were to, I'd probably make it like semi-fiction. You know, I, I would never write a fantasy book like that, where you're creating countries and cities and all of that. I would, I would rate, I would probably write something based on history, historical fact. But you know, I would maybe you know make it entertaining, like The Hustler, the movie The Hustler with Paul Newman. Right? They, there was a book first. You know, Walter Walter Tevis wrote the book. I got the book. Um, and in the color of money, the sequel, the, the book of the color of money was far better than that trash movie that came out about it. But yeah, the, it was a based on, you know, le legitimate things, pool halls, cities, you know, elements. Um, and I found it, you know, quite compelling. Of course, I, I, I had already had a, uh, a love for the game of pool, but, um, you know, so that, but the, yeah, but I've never been a guy who's like, I, I know people, I don't know anything about it, but like Harry Potter. I never saw a Harry Potter movie. Right. So I don't know anything about that's fantasy to me. Um, you know, that's, or maybe it's even science fiction. I don't know how they would label that, but I've, I was never really into that at all. I don't even think I ever read a sci-fi book. I really don't think I did. Just that just never appealed to me. What about you, Joe? Um, I read a mix of things. I think mostly, you know, um, you know, I read some news articles. But again, this is online. This isn't print again. But I'd say probably 50% of my reading is news or nonfiction related. Um, but yeah, I'll read some fiction. I'm a really big fan of the original Conan stories. I think they were really well written. So I just enjoy the writing style. It's fascinating to me how 
you know, some stories like you were kind of mentioning how some the, the books, the color of money was better than the movie. I mean, sometimes, yeah, in books, you have a way of elaborating on things. You just have the time to really expand on things that let's say in a movie, you don't, you have to edit things out. And so um, it's kind of interesting that that medium can do things that others can't. So you, you can appreciate it for what it is, you know? And the interesting thing about fiction too, is a lot of times, even though everything's made up, you can be making a point about something that's very real, you know? So you can take fictional characters and, and create a whole story, even in like an imaginary, you know, setting and still have it being pertinent for what's going on in the real world. And I think that's kind of fascinating too, that authors are able to do that often. Um, so it's a mix of things. And obviously I'm a comic book nerd, so I read those, but I don't know if you'd count that as actually reading, but I enjoy the illustration and the art of that as well. So that's a whole other aspect um, of time, you know, I spent with print. Well, in the example of the color of money, I mean, it wasn't, there, there was no correlation to the movie. Uh, the, the Tom Cruise character did not exist in the color of money book. Okay. It was uh, fat, Minnesota fats existed. And from what I re read back then, um, Jackie Gleason, who originated the role in The Hustler, wanted to play Minnesota Fats in the sequel. And, you know, they just, it was, that movie was a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it was to try to catapult Tom Cruise, you know, basically. As I said, the screenwriter um, created that character and that whole tagline, which saddens me. Um, he should not have been in that movie. It should have just been based the way the book was. Um, and, uh, and it wasn't, you know, uh, I remember reading, um, the Godfather by Walter, T uh, by, uh, uh, oh, not Truman Capote. I can't remember what the guy's name is now. The Italian guy. I can't think of it. Mario Puzo. Uh, yeah, Mario Puzo. And it was this thick. I mean, it was big, thick book. I used to have it. I lost it through the years. Um, you know, it was, uh, uh, just terrific, you know, and it went into things that the movie didn't get into, you know, like, um, well, I wasn't prepared for all of them. I can't think of names, you know, it's hard for me, uh, right now, but, uh, his one bodyguard, uh, actually was a, was a former cop. You don't know about this. If you read the, it just based on the movie, but, um, he actually in one scene when he was wiping out, um, the different godfathers, um, he was dressed in a police uniform. Al Neary, that was the character's name. Um, and uh, he was fo big focus in um, Godfather Part Two, But in the book, the original book, he was a police officer, former police officer. So, yeah, you're right, Joe. Um, and then you have books that are like a series of books. Um, you know, like I said, The Three Investigators, which they never made a TV show or a movie out of that, to my knowledge. Well, there was 40 books or whatever it was. It was a lot. So, it would, you know, I remember that they had the Nancy boy or uh, uh, Nancy Drew Hardy boys, which I was never into that, but they had that TV series um, and James Bond. Oh, by the way, yeah. Sean Connery passed away. That's something 90 years old. huh? Um, but yeah, that was based on novels by um, Ian Fleming. Uh, and that's always a debate, right? Everybody says their favorite Bond was probably, you know, most people say Sean Connery. Um, yeah, I was shocked to, to hear that he passed away. 90 years old though, man, guy lived a long time. Yeah. yeah. I like I like the original bond to uh, Sean Connery and actually the current guy, uh, I can't even think of his name now. I'm blanking out, 
but I think he's pretty good too. Daniel Craig. Uh, oh yeah. Daniel Craig. I think he's good too. I think those are the, like the, my top two, uh, I think. But yeah, I remember watching the old movies, you know, on TV as a kid, you know? And so it's definitely a bummer to see him go. He was just like, it's one of those constants, you know, everybody's going to go eventually. It seems like every week we've got somebody new the bring out your dead segment of the show where someone, some celebrity from the past is gone, but um, yeah, no, he was definitely cool. And it's just that vintage 60 vibe of those early ones are cool that they, they really can't really reproduce. You know, that was what was kind of cool about those, even though they were very cartoony in a lot of ways. Yeah. I thought they were ridiculous, but I loved them as a kid because of the beautiful girls and the exotic locations. So being in my environment, it was an escape for me. It was like, going on vacation really it was the closest thing i got to a vacation where i here's a james bond movie and he's in you know um cairo or you know uh, aruba or wherever you know the different the different locations was nice for me to see uh black and white or not and then you had all these beautiful girls and stuff i'm like women you know my like, jesus this is you know and um the 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 sense of wealth you know the way he dressed and the Rolex and the cars and the, you know, all that jazz, um, the, the exoticness of it was the allure, but the fight scenes, the guy that he's an expert at everything, that kind of stuff that I never liked that. Um, the George Lazenby on her Majesty's secret service. Now he was to me very physical. He looked like he could handle himself. And, you know, he didn't look like a, you know, when I watch some of the stuff that Connery did or especially Jane, uh, Roger Moore, I mean, come on, don't try to do martial arts, Roger Moore. You know, it just, it just didn't look good. Um, but I was, you know, Roger Moore was more of my era, you know, when I was a kid because Connery was a little before my time, those those James Bond movies. But um, so, like, yeah, I and, you know, the good thing about Roger Moore is they were all in color. Uh, but they, they, yeah, they started to get ridiculous, like the Moonraker thing and all of that. Uh, you know, just where, where, do, where do you stop with this guy? You know, there's nothing he doesn't know. Um, but um, I just watched Never Say Never Again yesterday be, because of it, you know, because of, you know, kind of like James Bond, uh, because of Roger Conner or Sean Connery passing away. And it's funny, I just thought of him the other day. I swear to God I did, because I was thinking about Roger Moore being the one who's passed, the only, the only Bond that died out of the movie bonds and um and then all of a sudden Sean Connery but um yeah that that's a, still a very successful franchise you know i guess they got another one coming out but it's been delayed because of the covid so i don't, I don't know when that's going to actually happen but um and bond has changed i guess i don't follow it anymore i don't i don't even know if i've ever seen a daniel craig one um but I guess they toned down all the sexism and everything. Is that true? Have you ever seen any of the Jason Bourne movies? Oh, I was just thinking about that, Joe. Jason Bourne. It's, those are good ones. No, yeah. I've never seen any of them. And what? I think um, the new Bond is kind of influenced by those. So, like, those came out a little bit before Daniel Craig became Bond. And they kind of like the original. So the Bond movies, like, by the eighties, probably even before that, they start to become more and more ridiculous. You know, you know, that the cars that could drive underwater and, you know, they just became more and more cartoony. And, um, and I think kind of the, the Jason Bourne movies kind of put the nail in the coffin on that, where it was just like, people don't want to see, I mean, some people do, you know, but it's just becomes so uh, almost like 
you know, uh, campy slapsticky stuff that, you know, um, Jason Bourne kind of had more of a, you know, felt a little bit more real, you know, like a real agent. And, uh, and I think the Dan, the Daniel Craig, like, I think you'd probably dig the Casino Royale. That was the first one Daniel Craig did. Um, but you can see the influence there, you know, it was a lot of fun and they, they did a really good balance of, um, you know, kind of modernizing it and, and kind of toning down the, the ridiculous gadgets and all the stuff that, you know, made it look like the Batman television show or something. So I think they did a good job of that. Um, but yeah, I'd recommend Tony, if you haven't checked it, maybe check out the first born movie and then check out the first Daniel Craig movie kind of, I think that's where like, like modern espionage movies. That's the aesthetic that a lot of them, of course, they're not modern anymore. Jeez, these have been out for what, 10, 20, 10 or more years at this point. Well, I'll do that. What, what, what I, what I didn't like, what I don't like, and what, which turns me off of these movies are the ridiculous stunts. They're, they're, they're a joke. Uh, that's the, the, you know, the, the old James Bonds, at least they, they were, you know, more realistic, but, you know, when I see like clips, you know, advertising, you know, the advertisements of Mission Impossible or this or that with these guys. And I've read stuff. We talked about this once before. Al Long, the one stuntman, he's like, the stunts, it's a joke now. You know, it's all CGI and they're doing things that not are physically humanly possible. And I think that movies or entertainment, television or movies, does play a subliminal game with people, Right. So when they, all right, I'm just going to make an exaggeration here. So when they see a guy in the movie effortlessly lifting a thousand pounds, and now they see you struggling to carry in your groceries, they're like, wow, you're a weakling. No, those things in the movies, some of them are so over the top. You know, it's, it's, it's fantasy, right? Like you said, cartoonish. Some of these stunts are just, you know, cartoonish. They're, you know, it's, it's, it's too much for me. It's superhero shit. And if I'm not into that, if I want to watch a superhero thing, I'm going to go, you know, watch the Hulk or whatever, you know, Superman or something. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm old school, man. I really am. I dig the movies of the seventies with that grit and the dirt and the, just the down, like the, you know, think about like the French connection or something like that. <laughs> die hard or not die hard. The, uh, those were get, get, that was ridiculous too, but that's, I can deal with that. Cause kind of, they're kind of funny. In a way, there's some funny scenes in there. And at Al Long, the, the, the dust stunt man, he's, he's in Die Hard. Um, but yeah, I, I would watch the Death Wish movies and, until they got stupid. Uh, the first two I could deal with. I, I don't think I even watched any of the other ones. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I used to like to watch those crime movies, uh, Serpico, you know, with Al Pacino, Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, you know, and I, I don't know. I, can, I can't think. I don't go out to movies. I haven't been. I haven't been to a movie in years. I cannot. We were just talking about that yesterday because there's a drive-in over here. I've lived here almost seven years. I've never been to the drive-in over here. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just don't go to movies. You know, I, I just, it's been years. I can't remember the last movie that I, that I was to may have been Rocky Balboa. That's what I told somebody yesterday. Cause a couple of my, my students took me to, um, to see Rocky Balboa at a theater where they serve you food. You could eat, eat while you're watching the movie. Um, and, and, and if I have been to a movie after that, I, I, I honestly don't remember. Um, I, oh, maybe it was, um, oh, maybe I had to go, uh, to go see that horse race movie. Um, sea Biscuit. I had to go see that. The girl that I was with, she 
demanded we see that. So I don't know if that came out before Rocky Balboa or after, but this is how long it's been since I've been to a movie theater. I can't even tell you. That's, you know, I'm strange. Um, <laughs> I just don't do it. I just don't, am I? But, um, you know, talking about the unrealistic aspect of it, there's been a, especially some of these Bond, because the Bond movies, even with the Daniel Craig, they've been kind of amping up. I think like they always try and top the next one. And there's definitely times when I've watched, like there's scenes where he'll be in a horrific fight. Like they're just smashing through wall. He's being thrown through walls and they're breaking like, you know, through porcelain sinks, you know, and he's bloodied up and beat up. And every time I watch that, cause you know, he's obviously a middle-aged character or definitely like an older guy. And I'm like, and then he's fine. The next scene, then he's able to run around and walk. And I'm like, even though he wins the fight, you know, I'd be like, yeah, I'd be healing for three months after a fight like that. You know, I was just, just bludgeoned. I just can't watch it and see the, you don't, you know, the human body doesn't take punishment like that. Uh, you know, if anybody who's in the fight game and has been in some, you know, tough sparring sessions, you realize, yeah, you know, you don't need to even just someone just, you know, you don't have to smash into anything to like, that'll take a while. That's the, you know, that that's going to, that pain will linger as they say. So that does kind of take me out of the moment. It's definitely, I think a movie's better when when they can make you believe it's real you know when you can when, when it, it feels like it's actually could have happened that when they go too far with it it does lose something yeah it's all about suspending you know you know disbelief you know suspending your belief systems when you go in there you know you you can't um like most boxers pro boxers have said that they interviewed have have said that the rocky movie is very unrealistic i mean no boxer's ever taken that kind of punishment you know um it wouldn't you know the you'd be the fight would have been stopped you know um but you you kind of just put all of that off to the side for a while um but even so like you just said some of the stuff that they're doing in the um well you mentioned the daniel craig movie or whatever there i just seen things that are just I just don't find it entertaining anymore. It's just, it's just too ridiculous because they're trying to pass the movie off as being reasonable. And then they'll throw this in there and it's just totally not reasonable. No bruises, you know, no, uh, it's, it's, it's rare that they have that, you know, but Hey, that's Hollywood, I guess, you know, we're probably in the minority. I certainly am. I told you, I don't go to movies. So Hollywood's not going to make a movie to try to lure me to go back to the theater. Cause you know, I'm not the market they're trying to reach, you know, um, I'm just not. But then again, too, I like a lot of old, old movies. I'm, my favorite movie of all time is the best years of our lives. Okay. 1946 won the best picture uh, of the year. It's about, the, the, you know, returning three returning war veterans from World War II. Uh, and of course I like the Godfathers. Well, those are more epics, but to me, the best years of our lives is, is unquestionably, you know, my favorite movie ever. And, um, and it, it is as touching and as, uh, as heartwarming and it reaches me on a personal level, um, which, you know, a James Bond movie is never going to reach me as a personal, on a personal level, because I'm not a secret agent. Um, although I've worked, I've trained some guys obviously that have been in that world, you know, uh, military and law, high level law enforcement or whatever, however you want to label them. Um, but the, the you know the best years of our, our lives you know really touched me and still does, and I watch it at least once a year, maybe more, depending. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was just listening to the soundtrack of it this morning. Uh, I, I listen to the soundtrack uh, about once a week 
um, just because of the music, the orchestration. It's like a 15-minute um, soundtrack and uh, that I have, and I love it. You know, it just puts me in a positive uh, frame of mind. Um, and that movie was way ahead of its time. It was never, you know, they never talked about some of the things in that movie you know, marriage difficulties, alcoholism, you know, alcohol problems, um, disabilities, uh, physical disabilities, um, mental disabilities. It was a, a pioneering movie in many ways. And as I said, it won the best picture of the year and, uh, and other Oscars, you know, for, for, uh, I believe Frederick March uh, won an Oscar and Harold Russell, who was legitimately disabled, won two Oscars for that movie. He's the only person to ever win two Oscars for a role. One was a special Oscar. Um, and he never made another movie until many years later, he made a movie called inside moves. Rory, Rory, another classic movie. Hey, I have to interrupt. We're getting uh, a, a guest is trying to come into the, the broadcast here. I'm wondering if I should try and admit him here. Well, go ahead, but we don't have much time, but you know, left, but please bring it in. Is it Let's possible? See how this works, is it possible to start a new broadcast? Um, I don't have time today to do another uh, hour and a half broadcast after this. That's the only problem. I, I I'm, you know, we, like a half hour. Let's see. Let's try and get him in. 